Good morning, everyone. I believe we've found us another good song leader. Mr. Parker does a great job. I got one problem, though. It's uh, He just about got the better of my voice on that last song. <laughs> if I start squeaking, it's his fault. I want to continue today with where we were last week, where we left off, and that is on the matter of giving. Uh, I tried to point out how important it is uh, that we give the way the Lord wants us to because it's... Uh, it's, uh, it goes much, much further than just how much money we give in the plate. It has to do with, you know, how much we give of ourselves. That's what's really important. That's what really counts. Some of the things we discussed last week is there is a church treasury. There's an act of worship. Uh, worship is prescribed uh, by God at the time to give to the church treasury. And then uh, my personal obligation as a Christian. Uh, next what we want to discuss today uh, first is the fact that giving is proportionate okay there's not a solid number uh, it's a proportionate thing set up that way uh, first we have to begin with the right kind of mind we have to think right to be right and uh, the first point is that we all that we possess belongs to God uh, think about it it's not hard to understand uh, we came into the world with nothing, and we leave the world with nothing. Uh, what do we actually have possession of? Nothing. You know, we, we borrow what we have for a time, and when we leave, we'll give it all back. Uh, we may have a lot of toys, but when we leave, the toys go back. Uh, they don't go with us. Uh, the purpose of our being here isn't for the toys we can collect purpose of our being here is to experience an opportunity to make a sovereign choice between God and mammon without being overly influenced by either one. God tugs at us that we might choose to come to heaven. The world, Satan, tugs at us that we may choose not to go to heaven. And we're in the middle. And Ultimately, each one of us will make a personal decision uh, as to what we will do. Choose God or mammon. That's life. That's what it's all about. That's why we're here. It's not about the toys. Toys are good. I love toys. But uh, toys are temporary. They're not a part of the big picture. All we possess belongs to God. In Psalm 24, verse 1, David said, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. All its fullness is everything in the earth is the Lord's. The world and those who dwell therein. Uh, we even belong to the Lord. He created everything that exists. There's nothing that exists other than God himself that he didn't create. And everything he created, the angels, us, the earth, they all belong to God. He allows us to use it. We barter, we trade for it. But ultimately, it all goes back to God. And I think all of us are intelligent enough to understand that. But sometimes while we're living, we tend to forget that. Everything I have belongs to my Father in heaven. And I thank him every day for letting me play with his stuff. 
Every good gift, James said, every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights. Notice these things are gifts. They're gifts. What did God get out of what I have? Nothing. He got nothing out of the land I live on. I get something from it. He gets nothing. Why? Because it's a gift. It's a gift that was given to me. In Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12, Jehovah said, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills. All that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not even tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. There's nothing that exists that doesn't belong to God. He doesn't have to beg, borrow, or steal. It's all his. In 1 Corinthians 4 and 7, Paul said, Who makes you differ from another? What do you have that you did not receive? What do we have that we did not receive? Even our children were gifts given to us from heaven. I was involved in their existence, but it wasn't up to me. I didn't design anyone. I was experiencing, enjoying a free will offering of God, but not something I could produce without him. And I like to think I'm intelligent enough to understand that. Now, if you did indeed receive it, Paul asks, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? <laughs> why would anyone boast of what they have? Because the things that we have were given to us by a great benevolent benefactor. God gave us what we have. He supplied what we get to use. There's nothing about myself that I should boast of except for maybe the fact that I belong to Jesus Christ. But other than that, there's nothing that I can do that I should boast of. In 1 Chronicles 29, 14, and 16, Who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, Lord. All things that we have have come from you and of your own have we simply given back to you that's what we do when we give to God on the first day of the week for example we give God what God has given us we give him a piece of what God has given us what do we have to boast of and the answer must be nothing O oh Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name, all of these things come from your hand and is all your own. All we've done is give you what belongs to you. That's like taking someone's property, wrapping it up and giving it to them as a Christmas gift. It seems vain to us to do such a thing. To give a person something that's already theirs. But that's what we do whenever we give gifts. We're giving either to God or in the name of God. That which belongs to God. And what does that leave for us to boast in? Well, the answer is nothing, obviously. 
giving uh, from a historical perspective. Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils to a priest named Melchizedek. According to W.E. Vine, in the patriarchal period of history, when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, God's king and priest of Salem, the Hebrew leader Abraham offered the chief spoils, that's what the Greek term, Hebrew term rather means, the chief spoils, Hebrews 7 and 4. The Greek word literally means the top of the heap, hence denotes the choices of the bounty. Abraham gave to Melchizedek the best he had. Now, when they, when they went to war back then, their, their reward for their war was the property they took away from the battle. They would take their cattle, their, their sheep. They would take their, their gold and their silver and things like that. When Abraham came back and gave to Melchizedek, God's priest, he gave him not the sorriest cattle he got, he gave him the prime cattle he had. And that's what we're being taught by this particular text. When Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils, he was giving the best he had to give to the Lord who gave him the success in the battle. The sons of Eli, they were condemned in part because when they offered sacrifices to God, number one, they took whatever portion of the meat they desired. They were supposed to take the best and give to God, but they did not. Instead, they took the best and kept it for themselves. Number two, they took their share before they took the share that would go to either God or to other priests. They were selfish men who were consumed with accumulating stuff for themselves without regard for God or man. Each Christian uh, was to give in the first century according to his ability, Acts 11:29, And that's very important. A person can't give more than they got to give. I remember a woman who gave money and uh, I visited her uh, back in my traveling days. I, I get around visit more often and uh, I noticed how poor she appeared to be uh, towards the end of the month. And I, I nosed around a little bit and she didn't have uh, much to eat. There wasn't much left. And uh, I knew what she was giving on the first day of the week. And I asked her about her eating and it, it wasn't much. And we talked about it. And I, I suggested that she was giving too much uh, back to the Lord, that she might need to give less so she could uh, take care of herself better. And uh, I don't know if she ever did or not, but uh, it's kind of weird for a preacher. Preachers are famous for begging for money. It's kind of weird for a preacher to, as someone did not give so much. But the Lord, he wants us to give according to ability, and then, then we have to stop. You're not supposed to give till it hurts, 
Some people say give till it hurts. You don't give till it hurts. You give till it feels good, but you don't give to where it hurts. You got a family. You got a responsibility if you got a family. You got to take care of that family. Your family's going to be a premier in your eyes, and you've got to take care of them. Some Christians gave, 2 Corinthians 8 and 3, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they were freely willing to give. These are the Macedonian Christians. They were poor people. And they gave, Paul said, they gave more than they could. They should have. They didn't have the funds to give as much as they did. Nevertheless, they gave it. They, they knew they could get by without what they gave. And because there was an urgent need at the moment, they gave a great deal. They were a generous, generous people, but they gave what they gave for a reason. The Lord previously stipulated the amount people were expected to offer. 10% was the, what most people offered during the time of the Old Testament. Abraham, Jacob, the Levites, they were to give 10% of what they made. Today, that's not the case. I know when you hear preachers on TV talk about it, they talk about tithing. The Christian is not taught to tithe. Uh, we live under a different economic system than they did. They were taught to give 10%. You make $100, you give 10. You make $1,000, you give 100. Uh, they were taught to tithe. But for us today, because we live under a superior system, we live under a better system than they lived under. And rather than us giving what they gave, 10%, one would think that we would give more since we've got more blessings than they ever had. We've got Jesus Christ as our head. They did not have him. They did not know him, but we do. And we know what he means to us. And what he means to us is seen in what we give, ultimately, it will be seen. There was one case where a woman gave 100%, and you remember her, she was the widow. She cast in two mites, not much, but it was all she had. It was everything. What do we discover when we take a look at the Old Testament days? Well, people gave between 10% and 100%, and somewhere in that range, it was apparently all right for people to give. Secondly, and very, very, very importantly, is that there has to be a generous disposition on the part of the giver. Um, when I supervised people in a place I worked at one time, I made a rule I didn't want any Christmas presents or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, through the years, I'd noticed when we took up money for a Christmas gift for a supervisor. Uh, people would, they would moan and bellyache. And you know, I don't want to give any money to him. He's sorry, blah, 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 blah. And you listen to all the complaining. I didn't want anybody to complain like that over me. So I made a rule right off the cuff, no gifts. It's, it's out of the question. Don't you feel that way? Do you want people who give you a gift to, to, to begrudge it, to hate it, to wish they didn't have to do it? 
None of us want a gift under those circumstances. Well, is God any different? Does God want to accept a gift that a person does not want to give? I know the answer to that question. It's no. We were made in his image. We're a lot like God. He wouldn't appreciate it any more than you and I would appreciate it. So disposition, personal disposition, becomes very, very important. There's a time, I believe, when we're better off to keep our hands in our pocket than we are to give what we don't want to give because there's simply no benefit at all in our offering. M.B. Hardiman said long ago, the covetous person is the most unchristlike individual on the earth because he stands in such glaring contrast to the loving Savior who gave himself for our sins. There's no one more unlike Jesus Christ than a person who loves money because he was the very opposite of such a person. But sometimes, even in the church, there are people who are covetous. They sing hallelujah to the Lord. And at the same time, they're, they're the very opposite of him. It's kind of sad. Paul admonished the Roman Christians. He who gives is to do so with liberality. That's what could be filled in the blank there. He who gives, let him do so with liberality. Uh, give uh, uh, much as, as he can. Give freely as he gives. To the Corinthian Christians, the apostle wrote, you will be enriched in every way. Enriched, you will be blessed more bountifully in every way. God will bless you greatly so that you can be generous on every occasion. God will bless you so you'll have the opportunity to give back more to the divine kingdom if you have the right disposition. And through us, that is through Paul and company, or more generically, we could say, through their teachers, your generosity, which you are taught, like in this case, to the Corinthians, this generosity will result in, it will produce thanksgiving to God at the time from the saints of Judea. Today, people sing praises to God because of your offerings that have provided them needed sustenance. And when a person is down on their knees and you come to their rescue, you and your Lord increase tenfold in their eyes because they don't know how to thank you. Some Christians never develop a generous spirit. And Moses said, take care lest your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing. 
and he cries to the Lord against you, and you are now guilty of sin. Your brother needed, you had opportunity, you had ability, but you did not come to his rescue. The Lord will hold it against us if we're covetous and refuse to help one another. In Proverbs 28, verse 22, a stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that finally poverty will come upon him. A man might be on the top of the heap today. Tomorrow he may be on the bottom of the heap. We don't know. We don't know what tomorrow holds. This has been a good year. Next year may be a bad year. We don't know. And it's best to be generous, to be liberal, to be caring, to be loving, willing to share. That when you find yourself on your knees, someone might treat you the same way. That was Solomon's point. The Christians were lacking behind in their giving. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, the apostle said, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Give a little, get a little. That's what he's saying. Give a little, get a little. Don't expect too much from God. Because if you give a little, you get a little. So don't expect much. That's the divine rule. That's the divine law. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart. As he determines in his heart. Give as you choose to give. That's the new rule. We don't give 10%. We give as we purpose to give. How much can I give? How much should I give? How much would the Lord expect me to give? That's the question I've got to answer. It's a hard question. It's a difficult question. And sometimes we may not like what we see. But if I know, if I know I begrudge giving back to the Lord what he gave me, he's going to know it too. He's going to know it too. Give as you purpose in your heart, not grudgingly. Not because you feel like you have to of necessity. I have to give or else I'm going to lose my soul. That's not a good way to give, folks. That's not a good way to give. I remember giving that way once. That's not the right way to give. We don't give because we're afraid we're going to lose our soul. We give because we want to help someone. I give because that's what I want to do. Not because it's what I feel like I'm forced to do. I have an opportunity to help. I want to help. I want to be a factor in this world. I want to be a purpose in this life. I don't want to just exist. I want to make my mark before I leave. That's why we give. It's not just because of fear. No doubt fear is always a factor, but not a good motivator. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a person 
who gives because he loves to give. That's what our Father does, and that's what he wants us to do also. And you can learn to be a cheerful giver. Yes, you can. You can learn to love other people. Just like they were your very children. You can learn to love others, want to help others, need to help others. Because they become so precious in your eyes. That's when giving feels good. That's when it has a real reason. A real purpose. And we're all capable of it. In Second 9 5, therefore I thought it necessary. He's saying that because he wants to avoid embarrassment. What he's talking, he was saying it. He thinks, he thinks on the part of the Corinthians. They had pledged earlier that they were going to give X amount of money. Well, now a year has gone by, and they haven't given their money yet. A year has gone by and they're thinking about, man, you know, we offered a lot of money back. You know, were we thinking right? What's the matter with us? Do we really want to give that much money? And Paul, he was telling everybody how, how generous the Corinthians were. They're generous people. They pledged to give X amount of dollars. And now he knows that they're, they're starting to back up a little bit. Maybe we gave too much. Maybe we need to give half that much. I don't know exactly what their conversation was. But Paul knew they were begrudging what they offered to give. Therefore, in order to avoid embarrassment, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren, my brethren here, to go to you ahead of me, ahead of time, and prepare your generous gift beforehand. I said the brethren before me and the brothers who will go with me to prepare your offering which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. A year ago it was a generous offering. Now it's a grudging offering. And Paul's thinking that if the brethren get there early enough they can persuade them to give as they're supposed to give and that because there is some time to think about things that they will feel generous in their offering rather than begrudging it. I think the logic may go something like this. When we prepare beforehand what we're going to give to the Lord, when the day of offering comes, we feel generous. But if we wait until the last minute and reach in our pocket and try to figure out how much we're going to give out of what we got, we're going to give begrudgingly because we're going to keep so much to ourselves. By planning early, we are more generous givers. By planning late, we may become more begrudging givers. And I think that's what the context in 2 Corinthians bears. When you plant early, you'll be a generous offering. Late will be a begrudging offering. Too much, ooh, too much. I need some money. The key to success, the Macedonian success of the most generous people I know of. They gave themselves first to the Lord. That's the key. That's the key to success. It's not about the money. 
Actually, money's got little to do with it. It's about you. It's about you. Everything in Scripture points to you. You are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all those things you need to live, you'll receive. You are to seek the Lord first and foremost. You are to give your heart to God. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about you. It's about who you are. It's about what you are. It's about what's important to you. What matters to you? Why are you here? What do you hope to accomplish? What is your purpose in life? Everything is about you because you are important to God. You are who he loves. You are who he wants to bring home with him. Not an idea. Not money. You. The Macedonians. They learned that. They looked at the Lord. They learned of the Lord. And you know what? They fell in love with him. They loved everything about him. And they decided that they were going to seek God first. And when they first gave themselves to the Lord, the rest, the rest was easy. Once you've given yourself to the Lord, it's not a problem to give money. He's already got me. And if he's got me, he's got everything I got. Just like he gave me what he's got. This is what it's all about. This is where we're supposed to be going. This is where we want to land. What about it? Look in your heart. Hey, hey, it doesn't happen just because you want it to. It doesn't happen just that quick. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime of getting close to the Lord. I've gotten very close to the Lord over the past 50 years but I'm still wanting to get closer to the Lord, and I trust that I shall. And so can you, if that's what you purpose to do. That's why we're here. That's what we're supposed to do with our time, first, foremost. And that's what the Macedonians did. They first gave themselves to the Lord, and then... By the divine will, they gave to us. You see, the money was secondary, not primary. That's when giving is good. Every one of us wants to be that way. We all want to give ourselves to the Lord. We all want to trust him with our life. But man, is it hard to step out on that limb. It's tough, tough, tough. But you've got to walk by faith. 
And now if I say, you got to get yourself in a position where you can trust God. And when you do, all the power of hell can't stop you. You'll be more than a conqueror. You'll be a victor. And that's what you ought to be.